uh, when we were uh, living and serving down in Tukwila, South Seattle area, a uh, you have to you have to excuse me a little bit today. There's probably going to be a little bit of coughing and nose blowing in the process of my sermon, but uh, apparently I'm in good a good company from what I hear. Um, about 20 years ago, uh, not yet, I'm, I'm not coming up yet, thanks. Leave that there, because I'm going to need it there, and then I'm going to have to bring it here when I come back here in just a minute. Uh, believe me, I've thought this all through. Um, a fella came to our church uh, who was invited by some friends he had known. Uh, his name was Dave Jackman, and... Uh, Dave uh, was in our church for, oh, I don't know, a few months, maybe a year at the most, and then he was gone. And, uh, you know, uh, just, just FYI, you know, as a pastor, it's, it, it's nice to know, if, if people move here and there, I understand that, it'd be, it'd be really great to know what's happening, uh, you know, so you can know how you should pray, how you should care, what you should do. But Dave just uh, disappeared, he was there for a while, then he was gone. And uh, his friends that were in our church said, we don't know what's going on with him. We just have no contact with him anymore. And uh, about five or six years later, I was uh, sitting down to eat with my wife at the Cannon Beach Christian Conference Center down in Cannon Beach, Oregon. Our pastors and wives retreat is there every September for the last 20, 25 years. And uh, we were sitting down to eat, and here's Dave Jackman serving my food. And I thought, Dave, how did you get from there to here? And uh, he told me a short form of his story, and I went, isn't God good? And uh, so two or three years ago, at some point, I said, Dave, I want you to come share your story at my church. And uh, we've had this plan two or three years in a row, and we finally made it happen this year. Dave's going to share his story, and then I'm going to share some scripture and some thoughts um, some sort of a reflection on, on what he has shared as we approach the new year and how we ought to do that. So Dave, uh, Lord bless you, and uh, we're looking forward. Make sure you turn that mic on. And uh, um, Not that we'll have a hard time hearing you okay. with your Can quiet you little me? voice. Can you hear me? Okay. I feel like there you go. Verizon. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm not a dynamic speaker, but I hope I keep your attention while I'm up here and... Uh, I was born in Renton, Washington. I, they, they tore down the hospital, so they put this big warehouse, and now I just tell people I was born in aisle five. <laughs> but I was, uh, my dad was a, uh, he was a Christian man. Uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, and he's up in heaven rejoicing with Jesus. But he, he was a, a good person, and my, my mom left us when I was a little, about eight years old, so my dad raised three children all by himself, doing the best, okay, get, take these off, doing the best with what he knew how. He didn't know very much about being a dad, but he knew about Jesus, and even though when I was growing up, I wandered away from God, and I wanted to be like my brother. My brother was good in sports. And my brother, uh, he uh, was a good wrestler, good in track. I was no, uh, no good in anything. <laughs> but uh, my brother, he, he left the church, and I did too with him. And 
And then he, uh, he uh, dropped out of high school, and I thought, man, I want to, I want to, uh, I want to graduate from high school. So I went back to church, and I had the funnest time as a youth in church. It was great. So what, what I, and then I, I didn't live for Jesus all that time, but you know what, God, God keeps you and, and preserves you, and he, and he's, and he is uh, changing us and perfecting us in the way that we need to go. And in that process, I developed a vib, an anger, uh, anger problem. I still have it to this day, but and I have to deal with it. Uh, and it comes up once in a while, but I've, I've got tools to uh, do that. Well, what happened was that I got married at an early age and in life. I was uh, 26 when I got married. I married a family. I married two, uh, a wife, and she had two children. We didn't have children our, ourselves. And so what happened was that I ruled our, our family with an iron fist, and what happened was that she or the kids would see the father. And what happened was they, they would tell him all the, all the bad stuff that I was doing. And he wanted custody of the kids. So in the process of the, a custody battle, my wife was given an ultimatum from the judge in Seattle that uh, she could either keep the husband and lose the kids, her kids, or keep the kids and lose the husband. So she kept the kids and I was out. So I was single from 87 until now. I, I still am single. But um, I still had an anger problem after that. I th even going to church, you can go to the church, you can go soul winning, you read your Bible, and you still don't get any tools for anger. And, and, and I didn't have any. And the pastor that I, I went was going to, he says, you can get anger and sin out. And I'm going, how do you do that? And I, it, didn't, it didn't sink in. So my last job was in Kent, Washington, and I, I, I was working at a Whirlpool warehouse, and I was a scanner. All I did was scan the products that were going out. They had barcodes, and they had this little portable scanner, so I just scanned the barcodes, and it was pretty simple. And what happened was I lost my temper too many times there. So I lost my job there. So I thought, okay, since I'm, and I have a brother that lives, an older brother that lives in Texas. I said, man, I should live, I want to live with him. So I went down to Texas, and I didn't live up to his expectations, so he kicks me out after a month. So uh, this was in November of 1994, and then I come back to up here to where my sister lived in West Seattle, and I, and I lived with her, and I couldn't find any job for four, five months. And so what happened was that on my birthday in 1995, she kicks me out, and I'm going, come on, Susan, <laughs> where am I going to go? Come on, I'm trying to live here, you know, I'm trying to find a job. So I, I honored her wishes, and I, and I thought to myself, well, if I'm going to, I don't have any place to go, I don't have any money, I don't have anything with me, I just took my coat, and I said, if I'm going to go 
walking, I'm going to go south because it's warmer there. And if I'm going to go south, I'm going to go towards the ocean because I like the ocean. So I just started walking south. And I got, in my second day of my journey, I got big feet, uh, really swollen. My, they started to swell on me. My feet became very swollen. And it was hard for me to walk. But, uh, you know, God was watching me over this time that I was uh, walking. I, I, uh, some people gave me rides. Some people gave me money. I didn't even ask for any of it. Uh, but it took me 10 days to get from Seattle to Astoria. And they have a mission there in Astoria. And there, I, like I said, I, I had big swollen feet. And the assistant director says, man, you need some help. And I'm going, yes, I need some help. So he took me in into the mission, and I was placed on their program. I didn't have a drug, I didn't have a drug addiction or, or, uh, or alcohol, but all the symptoms of anger are really similar to any kind of sin that, that you might have to be addicted to. So it doesn't matter what it is. So what happened was I stayed there. for uh, First of all, I was on their program, and then I became part of their ministry. And I'll tell you a story one time about uh, one time I, was, I had a problem with somebody in the mission. And I went up to, to, uh, to talk to the assistant director. So he had me bring the guy that I was having problems with up to, the, up to his office. And I was telling him all the problems I was having with this guy. And you know what the director said? He said, Dave, the problem is you. I'm going, no, come on now. <laughs> Boy, did I ever put up a defense. Oh, man, it's not me, it's him. But in reality, once he said, Dave, you are very stubborn. And then I said, yeah, I am. And then I began to calm down and stuff like that. And I realized that being anger is a choice that I made. You, you talk to people and they say, oh, you made me mad. And you go, no, he didn't make you mad. His actions might have made you choose to get angry with him. But he didn't make you get mad. You chose to get angry. In fact, I'll give you another example. Before I went to uh, Astoria, I was up here um, in, in West Seattle or in, in the SeaTac area, and I went to a, a homeschooling or a home uh, Bible study. And what happened was I asked, this guy says he had problems with his, his, uh, his boss, and he said, you know what I did? I prayed for him to get a promotion. And I'm going, what? <laughs> and I'll pray for him to get... And that was the right thing to do because this boss got a promotion and he didn't have to deal with this thing. So <laughs> it was pretty cool. You... It's, a, it's a new way of thinking. I'm telling you, you have to... Because it's... everything, everybody that you think that you get angry with, you want to be the the judge, the juror, and the executioner all the time. Yeah, I know it. Everybody feels that way. They, they think that they're right. You have a point to get across. But in reality, this is going to kill you. Jesus loves them. <laughs> You're going, what? He loves them? Come on. They're the... And really, they, he does. So you have to realize that Jesus loves them. That's, that's a tough one. In fact, the verse that I, I, w I want to share with you is in Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 
3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not unto your own understanding. We want to lean unto, lean unto our own understanding. I don't get it, Lord. Come on, help me out here. So what happens? And, and he will direct your path. So the thing is, that no matter who makes you upset, God loves them, no matter if they're saved or unsaved. You can witness to them, and they might even leave you alone if you witness to them. <laughs> you know? They, you know, and you can, you can be nice to them. Oh, you don't want to be nice to them. They did your best. Be nice to them. You know, show them God's love. God loved you. He loves them. I know this is not easy sometimes, but you got to, you know, it will help you grow as a person and, and will make you grow as a, as, a, as a Christian. And now I wanted to sing a, a cute song, and, and then I'll, and I'll turn it over to the pastor. It's called Keep in Touch with Jesus, okay? Would you be a victor over every foe? Conquer every trial in this old world below. Overcome temptation that each day you meet. Keep in touch with Jesus. He will keep you sweet. Many hearts are broken, often aching breast. Waste the message spoken that will give you sweet rest. You perhaps can bring them Joy and peace complete. Keep in touch with Jesus. He will keep you sweet. Would you be a blessing or along the way? Would you be possessing perfect love each day? Just let the Holy Spirit overcome defeat. Keep in touch with Jesus. He will keep you sweet. Keep in touch with Jesus, though the path be dim. Let no cloud or shadow sever you from him. Joy and sorrow greet you, friend or foe you meet. Keep in touch with Jesus, he will keep you sweet. There you go. Open your Bibles, please, to James chapter 1. I want to, I want to piggyback on on what Dave has been saying and and uh, uh, think about the new year and a and how you're going to uh, spiritually approach the new year. In James chapter one, uh, God compares the Bible to something that we all use every day. James one, uh, starting in verse twenty two. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. God compares his word to a mirror, and he, this little illustration is based on our everyday experience. We get up in the morning, and at some point, 
we all stand in front of the mirror and we have some response to what we see. If you remember the old TV show Happy Days and the, the stereotypical hot young guy called the Fonz, he would get his comb out and he'd look in the mirror and he'd go, Bleh. it's perfect. You can't improve on perfection. That was his response to the mirror. Other people look in the mirror and go, oh my, this man here, he says, there is such a person that will look in the mirror and then walk away and forget what he saw. And the mirror he's talking about is the Bible. When we read God's word, this is God showing us what we're supposed to look like. And we have to respond to what God is showing us. And I want to talk today about some of the ways that we respond. God says his word is the only mirror that will show you what needs to change in your spiritual life. I could have even just left the word spiritual off there and said life. I understand God doesn't tell us how to do mathematics. It doesn't tell us you know, perhaps how to uh, part our hair. But in terms of living life and honoring him, it tells us all that we need to know. And God says, this is the mirror we need to look in every day. Um, it's important to look into that mirror to make sure your hair is parted right, or in my case, that it's just parted. <laughs> but when we look into the word, we have a response. Dave was looking into the word for much of his life, but his response did not change his life. And so he kept reaping the results of not living in the word. And uh, we want to go into the new year with a different approach. And so how do you respond to the mirror of God's word? The first response that I would challenge you with is uh, I'm calling the response of denial. Nothing is wrong, okay? Um, you know, we look in the mirror and the mirror shows us some dirt or it shows us our hair parted the wrong way or shows us the bed hair. Do you know even with hair this short you can get bed hair? It kind of lays different ways, you know, and you go, oh, wow, I've got to take a shower. I've got to straighten that up there a little bit. <laughs> Nothing is wrong. Yeah, I, I, uh, I see this, I see that. But like this man here, he, we turn away and we go, Nothing is wrong. It reminds me of a passage in 1 John. <clears throat> this is the message which we have heard from him, and we declare it to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. In other words, when God looks in the mirror, it is absolutely perfect what looks back. In him is light, and, and there is no darkness at all. If we say that we are connected to God, we have fellowship with him, we are in his family, and yet our life is one of walking in darkness or walking in sin, we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. That's what James was talking about. Are you a doer or just a hearer of the word? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Here's the key verse for today. 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we're kidding ourselves. Now, the, the, the ultimate denial of the image in this mirror is the denial that we need a savior. God tells us in his word that we are sinful, we are not perfect like him, and because of that we are gonna be judged uh, and, and we're gonna spend eternity in hell, but he says I've sent my son Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for the sin, that penalty was paid on the cross, and now the payment can be applied to you if you will believe in Christ as your savior. Chapter 3, verse 23 of, of 1 John says, this is God's commandment. This is God's commandment that you believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And so if, if you're here today and you've never believed in Christ, God's word is showing you an image that says you're a sinner and you need to believe in Christ. Now you can go away and say, I don't need that. You can go away and deny that there's a problem, but that is what God's word is telling us. Once we come to faith in Christ, God is telling us in this passage here and many others like it, he's saying, look, Christian, you were saved, you were given a new life, you were born again, and it's possible for you to live your life like Christ, day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour. And if that's not happening, if your lifestyle is generally one of sin, you might be kidding yourself about whether or not you're connected to God. You know, if our lifestyle is sin and we have no conscience about it, we need to stop and say, maybe the mirror is really telling me I'm not a child of God. If we truly are born again, the mirror is saying, look, there's sin, you need to take care of it. There is something there. No one, <clears throat> no believer in Christ will ever be perfect in this life. And what that means for us day by day is we need to be looking at the mirror saying, okay, God, where's the sin that I need to change? Um, <clears throat> I've never heard a Christian say, I'm completely perfect. I've never heard a Christian say that. I've never heard a Christian say, I don't sin. I'm familiar with some churches that teach some doctrines that sound like that, but I've never actually heard anybody say, I don't sin, I don't need to change. But what I do hear is things like this. I did nothing wrong. They did all the wrong. Did you ever say that to yourself, Dave? Did you say that a lot? Yeah. Yeah. It's real easy to, to, to have a, a tough experience in life and come away from it going, they messed up. They're wrong. And, and, and God is saying... If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The godly Christian is constantly looking into the word saying, God, will you show me what is there? Help me to see myself the way you see me. We can't deny that there are things we need to work on. 
Uh, number two, the second response that we can have is the response of deferral. Um, and that is the response that says, it's not my fault. I believe today, this is the most significant uh, thought in our society. Our society is heavily invested in the belief that people only do wrong because of other people's wrongdoing to them. If everybody would be nice to me, I would be nice to everybody. Now, there's a little, there's a little dab of truth in that. But according to God's word, it's not completely true. <laughs> Look at James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God does not tempt. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, it gives forth, brings forth death. The ultimate, <clears throat> the ultimate deferral is to say it's God's fault. It's God's fault. If God hadn't allowed this circumstance in my life, I would not have sinned. I don't know if you've ever said that, but it's the kind of thing that we really would come to if we would stop and say, who am I blaming for my sin? Who am I blaming for the stuff in my life? Verse 14 here, though, makes it clear. We are tempted because of the sin that remains in us. When we accept Christ as our Savior, the power of sin is broken, but God does not wholly remove our, our temptation to sin. Adam blamed Eve for his sin. He deferred to her. He said, in fact, he blamed Eve and God. He looked at God and said, God, the woman you gave me caused this. And so I'm sure Adam stepped back and went, yeah, I am innocent. And as Dr. Phil says, how'd that work out for him? And of course, Eve blamed the serpent. Blaming someone else doesn't change the fact that you still have sin that needs to be removed. You see, do you th if we think this all the way to the end, it goes like this. Someday I'm gonna show up in heaven and God's gonna review my life and he'll say, oh, there was this person and this person and this person and that's why you did all that sin as a Christian. No problem. Here's your crown, come on in. You don't think that's gonna happen? You're right, it's not. First Corinthians three says some people will be saved so as by fire, meaning that the stuff of their life, the works of their life, will be burned up and consumed by the righteous evaluation of God. They'll still make it to heaven, but there'll be no bragging about the fact that other people made them sin. The response of deferral, it's not my fault. Number three, the response of disability. I'm not able to change. Another real popular thing in our society. I have great news for you, Christian. That is not true. You are able to change. 
Our old man was crucified with Christ that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be the slaves of sin. Our old man was crucified with Christ. When you believe in Christ as your savior, your sinful nature within you is put to death so you don't have to be, you don't have to be the slave of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Likewise, you also reckon or decide that you are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are able to change. <clears throat> what keeps us from changing is the habits of sin that have been so prevalent in our life. Steffi and Raul have a new dog named Buster. It's an awesome dog. I'm sure he'll be featured in some pictures someday here, but he's just sitting in my lap and loving me, you know, and, and that's really great because just like grandkids, when you're done, you get up and leave. Buster has one of those collars with the shock thing on it, so, and it's a radio transmitter, so when he gets a certain distance from the house, it, it shocks him and it keeps him. They, they've got five acres out in the woods and uh, they, they can't fence the whole thing. And so, so he's got this little shock collar and, uh, and he knows right where the line is, right there. Raul had him on a, on a leash the other night and that dog would not go over that line because he knows where it's at, even though he didn't have the shock collar on. He said, every time I go there, I get shocked. So I'm not going there. He's a smart dog. The truth is, he was free, but he didn't know it. I have no doubts that the habit of sin that has been prevalent in your life makes you think you can't go any farther with Christ, but you can. Dave didn't think he could control his anger. He put it on other people, no doubt just looked at himself and said, can't do it. But it's only the habit of sin that makes you think that. Christ has crucified your sinful nature. You are free. You can do what God wants you to do. The fourth response to what we see in the mirror is the response of disregard. It will fix itself. Yeah, boy, that is messed up. I hope somebody does something about that. Look at James 1.22. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Look at verse 25. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer, he will be blessed. Clearly in this passage and throughout the New Testament, you are responsible for your spiritual life. I fully understand and agree with the doctrine of God's word which says, in coming to salvation, I cannot contribute anything to salvation. I believe in the sacrifice of Christ. That's all I can do. I can't do some good works to earn his favor. I can't do some good works to earn my place in heaven. All I can do is believe, that's it. But that is not the same in the Christian life. 
Once I have become born again, I have a responsibility to work together with the Spirit of God based on the Word of God to do what I see in this mirror. The process is laid out in first, Second Peter 1, 5 through 7, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence literally means to be hasty, to, to be quick, to get after it. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For he who lacks this kind of diligence is short-sighted even to blindness, and he's forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Has God cleansed you or not? Is it possible for you to change or not? Seems like I've heard these kind of phrases used by people over the years. That broom won't push itself. That hole won't dig itself. That garbage won't take itself out. Your bed won't make itself. And your godliness won't develop itself without your effort. Number five, and the last, the last one is this, the response of defiance. It doesn't matter. This is the person who looks at the word and says, I don't care what God says. I don't hear that from people very often, but once in a while I do uh, in the counseling setting. People say, well, I know what God says. I don't care about it. Boy, I feel like the, I feel like the, the old cartoon where the guys are golfing and one guy's having a bad day, and he says, God, give me what I deserve. And his friend goes like this. If you're gonna get what God's, what you deserve, I don't wanna be standing close to you. Does righteousness matter? Does righteousness matter? Blessed the Old Testament word blessed, in fact, I studied the New Testament word blessed in James 1 this, this week. I haven't studied that word before. And you know what it means? The same as the old Hebrew word in the Old Testament. It means to be happy. You want the path to happiness? Here it is. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the ungodly, he does not stand in the path of sinners, doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. In other words, he doesn't pay attention to the world's way of thinking. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night. And what's the result? He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit and its season, whose leaf will not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. Everything Dave Jackman did failed. He was like the tree planted in the desert and no water came to it and he kept failing and he kept failing and he kept thinking, what in the world's going on? And when he came to a point of submitting himself to God's word and God's way and he really began to learn what that meant, he began to blossom. And I'm telling you, where's, where's Don, Don Green that came with Dave? Now, here's a guy who met Dave at Cannon Beach this guy volunteers at Cannon Beach. Why, why did you 
drive from Mount Vernon to Seattle and pick him up and bring him up here today. Done him. Cool. Got kicked out by his brother, got kicked out by his sister, got kicked out by his wife, got fired from every job he had. And now here's a guy who will drive from Bellingham to Seattle, pick him up and bring him up here to have some fellowship with him. How does that happen? It happens when you plant yourself in God's word and you grow in God. Do you know this, this, uh, this, uh, Rivers of water here, it means an irrigation ditch. And it's the idea that God is, he's pushing that water to you and, you're, and, and there's an unending source of it. Galatians 6 says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. If he sows to the flesh, he will reap ruin. If he sows to the spirit, he reaps eternal life. Being a Christian is not about having warm affection for God. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to have warm affection, but some people say, oh, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. Well, why don't you start living like him? Who are you to judge? Well, I'm not judging God's word is. Living for the Lord is not just talking about God's way. You could be an expert in theology and be a failure in Christianity. The one who does, in James, the one who does God's will, he is blessed. <clears throat> when we lived in Tukwila, I got my hair cut in the same place for 12 years. That was when I had some hair that was worth cutting. And I, I met this, you know, I, I went into Penny's one day and took the luck of the draw and got this gal, and then she went off on her own, so I followed her. And she cut my hair. She knew how to do it. I didn't, have to, I didn't have to have a big discussion every time when I went to get my hair cut. And life was good. And then I moved to Ferndale. And I got to find a new place to get my hair cut. Now, when I first came here, I still was wearing my hair long, you know, relatively speaking. So I go to a place down here in town, and they cut my hair. And when they got done, they spun me around and gave me that big mirror. And I can see in the other mirror, and I can see this spot right here. I got a bald spot. Well, I don't have to tell you, I never went back to that place. No, thank you. <laughs> I want to live in the delusion of youth. Isn't that what we do here? Oh, I, yeah, I, I, I see that, but you know what? I, if I just leave that on the shelf, then, then I won't see it. Yeah, that's true. That's a true statement. If I don't come to church, I won't hear it, I won't see it. You know, we have all these ways to avoid the truth. As we come to the new year, I want to challenge you to do just the opposite. 
I want to challenge you to stare hard at the mirror and then go work on what it shows you. If it's telling you you need a savior, believe in Christ. It will be the best thing you have done in a new year forever. If it's telling you there's things to work on, work on those things. Don't worry about how hard it is or how much you have to humble yourself because the life of Christ, the life of Christ can be yours if you'll let him change you through the mirror of his word in 2016. Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us how to be like Christ. I readily admit that it's painful. I don't like it but I do like the results. So Father, help us. Help us to get the mirror up, to look at it, to listen to it, to act on it, to be doers of the word and not hearers only. I pray in Christ's name, amen.